Good morning, church family. Happy Sabbath. Today's scripture is found in John twenty-one twenty-two. Jesus replied, "If I want him to live until I return, what is that to you? You follow me." Today's message uh, is entitled "Where Are You Looking?" and we want to pray before we begin. Um, and so let's go ahead and, and bow our heads. Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, right now. And Father, we desperately need your Holy Spirit. Father, we want to be in a position where the Holy Spirit of God shall be upon our hearts with its reviving, sanctifying power. And Father, we ask that you would manifest yourself to us this morning. We pray that you would sweep away every mist and every cloud of darkness. And we come to you, Lord, as our compassionate Redeemer. We desire wisdom. We desire righteousness. We desire truth. Father, we ask of you that all of us would be wise enough to discern that we must individually open our hearts to you. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit may come and melt and subdue our hearts. We desire, Lord, this morning to make an entire surrender to you, to give up our will and our way. And Father, we pray in a very serious, intentional way that you would come upon this place in the midst of us this morning. Move upon hearts, young and old. Father, we cannot afford to be indifferent anymore. Father, we cannot afford to work contrary to, to you or to one another. And Father, we simply ask that you would descend upon us. We're ready to receive the comforter. We open the doors of our hearts. We invite you, dear Savior, in. And we see in your love, in your matchless charms, we see, Lord, someone that cares about every person. And our desire is that every person here constantly look to you, Lord the author and finisher of our faith. We pray that you would guide us as we open up your pages of Scripture. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We live in a culture of comparison. Would you agree with that statement, friends, that we live in a culture of comparison? In fact, in one recent study that was done back in 2019, Uh, They surveyed 17,000 participants. It was a big uh, sample size, and and the subject was social media. And they found that of those 17,000 people that were surveyed, 57%, that's a lot, almost two-thirds, a little more than half, 57% felt that someone they follow on social media has a better life than they do. Have you ever seen someone's pictures before? You think, ah, man, they have a, a better life than me. 57%. 59%, close to 60%, felt sad after seeing photos from an event they didn't attend. Oh, that's not fair. They didn't invite me. Or, or, wow, they went on vacation, and and I'm sad that I didn't get to go. And 45% were unhappy after seeing photos from a friend's happy holiday outing. Wow, they got to go to such and such a place. We live in a culture of comparison, and perhaps this is why author Kay Wyma has written a book entitled, I'm Happy For You, and it's hard to see there, but underneath it it says, I'm happy for you, sort of, not really. 
The book argues that more and more people are contracting what she calls the new OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. OCD, our compulsion to constantly compare ourselves with other people, producing unwanted feelings of inadequacy. And I'm certainly not immune to this culture of comparison. It's easy to look at other families and their children are sitting there oh so still and perfectly. Or to look at other pastors maybe who are more talented or successful. Or or to look at, at people that seem to have it all together. And the tendency to compare ourselves is real. But this culture of comparison is not anything new. No, in fact, it's been around a long, long time. Please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, where we find the disciple Peter struggling with OCD, struggling with obsessive comparison disorder. John chapter 21, and we'll go ahead and begin reading in verse 20. John chapter 21, verse 20. I love to hear those pages turning. If you're there, say amen. Good number of us are. John chapter 21, verse 20. The Bible says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper. And who is that, friends? That is the disciple John. John's writing this. He's talking about himself. So Peter, turning around, saw John and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Or, and, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, and said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And I want us to uh, pause for just a moment and think about this scene. Here is Jesus and Peter uh, walking together on the beach. And, and as they're walking together, Peter turns, and from his peripheral vision, he can see that the disciple John is following him. And the presence of John piques Peter's comparing curiosity. And he asked Jesus, well, what's going to happen with him? Now, why would Peter ask that? What's going to happen to him? Well, if you read earlier on, you find that Jesus just revealed to Peter what his future was going to be. Do you remember that? John, or Jesus told Peter, you're going to uh, die in such a, such a way. You're going to die with your hands stretched out. It was a reference to Peter dying upside down on a cross, which we know is what happened in history. And so since Peter has just been informed about what his future will be, he, want to know, he wants to know what John's future will be. He wants to compare his destiny with John's destiny. The waves are gently lapping at the seashore. Peter is walking alone with his master, someone he has deep affections for. And I can imagine in my mind's eye that initially Peter is following and tracking with what Jesus is saying. Yes, yes, Jesus, I I, I agree. And then in his peripheral vision, as he sees John, he he maybe interrupts Jesus. Well, 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 Jesus, what about, what about John? Did you see John? Yes, I see John. Let's talk about John later, Peter. You focus on me. Well, but what about John? Look at him. What will his future be? What's going to happen to John? Jesus, would you just look at John? Just look at him. Lord, Lord, would you look at my classmates? Would you look at my classmate, Lord? Did you see that grade on the test? How in the world did they do that? Do you see their project? Oh, it was incredible, Lord. Lord, look at my son or daughter. 
They're not living how we raise them. Lord, look at that family. They seem to have it all together. Lord, my spouse is not doing what I want them to do. Lord, look at those church leaders. Look at the pastor. Lord, look at him. He is not doing what he is supposed to be doing. Lord, look at my parents. My parents aren't doing what I think they should be doing. Lord, look at that couple. They're doing so well, and I have to work so hard to survive. It isn't fair. Lord, everyone is is married, and, and I'm single. Lord, look at them. Look at her. Lord, look at that human being. Lord, look at John, Peter says. And friends, I believe that the answer that Jesus provides Peter is the answer that Jesus provides us. Because Jesus' answer in verse 22 to Peter is his answer to us. Verse 22, let's read it again, says, Peter, if it is my will that John remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, why do you care so much about John? You let me worry about John. Uh, Peter, your job isn't to be anxious about what John is or isn't doing. Peter, your job and your task is to keep your eyes on me. This is the last lesson that Jesus seems to, to desire to drill into Peter's heart and mind because he shares this same lesson in perhaps varied ways here in this last bit, this last chapter of the book of John. The first time is in the repeated questions that Jesus asked Peter. Do you remember that? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Don't love people's opinions, Peter. Don't worry about what people think. Love me because I love you. That's the first time that Jesus shares this lesson with Peter is in those repeated questions. The second time is in verse 19. Notice this in verse 19. It says, This Jesus spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when Jesus had spoken this, he said to Peter, Follow me. Second time, that Jesus shares this lesson with Peter, you follow me. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about what will happen to you. You just keep your eyes on me. The third time is in verse 22, what we just read. Peter, don't worry about John. Don't worry about other people. You follow me. Why would Jesus emphasize this so many times? Why would he bring this up to Peter time and time again? I believe the book Desire of Ages gives us the answer. The author says that Peter might possess every other talent and ability there is. He might be the most gifted leader or the most eloquent speaker, but without a deep-rooted affection for God, Peter would not be a faithful shepherd. Is that powerful, friends? Peter could be the most gifted speaker, He could attract thousands to his messages. He could stand up there and capture the attention of everyone. He could lead impeccably. He could uh, gather people. He, He could have a personality that draws people that's winsome. But without a deep rooted love and affection for God, he would not be a good leader. The most essential qualification for a leader in God's church is love for him. Notice here what We're told here in Desire of Ages, it continues, how many today are like Peter? They're interested in the affairs of others and are anxious to know their duty while they are in danger of neglecting their own. It is our work to look to Christ and follow him. We shall see mistakes in the lives of others and defects in their character, but in Christ we find perfection. 
Beholding him, we shall become changed. Humans make mistakes. Jesus doesn't. Pastors make mistakes. Jesus doesn't. Humans will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. Humans can't give you your self-worth or value, but Jesus can. Notice what we're told here in Testimony Treasures, Volume 1, page 82. Look not at the lives of others and imitate them and rise no higher. You only have one true unerring pattern, and it is safe to follow Jesus only. So my Hendersonville Church family, the question that I have for you, that I have for me is, where are you looking? Where are you looking? Are you looking at your friends? Are you looking at your children? Are you looking at other church members? Are you looking at the pastor, church leaders? Are you looking at your budget? Are you looking at your phone? Are you looking at your computer? Are you looking at yourself? What predominates your attention? Because God has been convicting me as of late to stop worrying about what people think. Can someone say amen? Stop worrying about what so-and-so is doing. Stop worrying about what so-and-so thinks. Stop worrying about that so-and-so may be better at X, Y, or Z. Far too often, friends, our sense of importance and self-worth is driven by our perception of what people think. But most of the time, people aren't thinking about us at all. Isn't that true? It's futile to achieve any sense of significance from the glory of man. But the problem is, is that if we're not comparing ourselves to uh, the church or people in the church, many of us try to compare ourselves with the culture around us and, and wanting to fit in. A few years ago, uh, a psychologist named Ruth Berenda and her associates carried out an interesting experiment designed to show how a person handled group pressure. And the plan was very simple. They brought groups of 10 into a room for a test. And each group of 10 was instructed to raise their hands as a group when the teacher pointed to the longest line. There were three lines. All of them were different lengths. And the simple instruction was when the teacher points to the longest line, raise your hand. Well, what one person in the group didn't know was that nine of the others had been instructed ahead of time to always vote for the second largest line. Every time. One person didn't know, but nine people knew, hey, when the teacher points to the longest line, don't vote, but when he points to the second longest line, raise your hand. Nine of them knew, one of them they did not. Regardless of any instructions they heard, the group was informed once they were together in the group, the nine people were not to vote for the longest line, but rather vote for the second longest line. Well, the experiment began with nine people voting for the wrong line. And the uninformed person would typically glance around, look again at the line, frown in confusion, and slowly slip up his hand with the rest of the group. Time after time, the self-conscious person would sit there saying that a short line is longer than a line, long line simply because they lacked the courage to stand against the group. In fact, this remarkable conformity occurred in 75% of the cases. 75% of the time. And it was the true of, of young children and high school age kids as well. And here is the psychologist's conclusion. Some people 
would rather be part of the group than be right. We live in a society where people would rather go along with what everyone else is doing rather than stick up their hand, stick out like a sore thumb and say that's wrong. Perhaps you've seen a a similar video, but uh, there's, unfortunately, this has happened several times, but but not too long ago, maybe several months ago, I I saw a video that someone showed me of a a grown man who was exhibiting aggressive behavior to a a, a grandmother-type person. An elderly woman was there on the the subway, and here was this aggressive man trying to to do something and and exhibiting violent behavior uh, to them. And what is amazing is that as this person is filming this happening, because the video is online, as this person is filming this happening, everyone else around is filming too, but no one's stepping in to help. Every oh, this, oh, I've got to film this, but I'm not going to do anything. Oh, this is so interesting, wow, but I'm not actually going to step in. Friends, we live in a culture and society that's afraid to stand up for what is right. And the world longs for people who aren't afraid to stand for the right, though the heavens fall. People who aren't afraid of what people think. People who aren't afraid of, of, of their image or their reputation or whether they might be labeled as different. We live in a society where some people would rather be part of the group than be right. So the question is, friends, where do we go from here? Is there hope? In an OCD, obsessive comparison disorder world, with the temptations that we have on social media as we see other people and we look around, is there hope to get ourselves out of this comparison rut? How do we heal ourselves? Well, let's turn over to Acts chapter 3, just a few pages over from John 21. In John 21, we find that Peter and John are together. John chapter 21, we find Peter and John are together. They're both walking on the beach. Peter and Jesus are together. Peter sees Jesus behind him. And the next place in Scripture's narrative that Peter and John show up together is Acts chapter 3. John 21, Peter and John are together. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are together. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Here are Peter and John together again, but this time, Peter's not comparing himself to John. He's not worried about what's going to happen to John. They're doing ministry together. They go up to the temple to worship at the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. This was the time of the regular afternoon sacrifice, and there would have been a lot of, of worshipers. Peter and John come into the temple, and they come across a man who couldn't walk. He had been lame from birth, so you can imagine the hopelessness that he felt. And notice verse 6. Peter looks at the man and tells him, I don't have silver or gold. I don't have any money, but this is what I can give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now what if this verse read, you know, I don't have any money, but I'm going to pray for you. What what if that's what Peter said? "I, I don't have anything to give you, but you know what? I'll pray for you, brother. See ya. Let me get a quick picture. I'll post it to social media. But this man needed much more than drive-by prayer. He needed healing. And praise God that he got healing. He goes around leaping and jumping before. He hadn't been able to use his legs, and now he could. Have you seen someone, maybe they're they're colorblind, and they, they get colorblind glasses for the first time. They're able to see the world around them. 
Or, or maybe they get a certain uh, orthotic device and they're able to, to walk for the first time and the joy that they have at seeing the world in a new light. That was this man. He latches on to Peter and John. He's so thankful. And notice chapter 3, verse 11. Jump down to verse 11. As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. He's like, these two guys just healed me. I've got to uh, uh, hang on to these two men. All the people ran together to them to the place which is called Solomon's porch, greatly amazed. All of the people saw this healing. They saw the crippled man who couldn't walk. And now they saw someone who could walk. And they thought, everyone thought, that this incredible healing had been done by two human beings. Wow, Peter and John, you're incredible. Peter and John, you are amazing. Did you just heal them, Peter and John? Pastor, that was a terrible sermon, or that was a a great sermon. Elder, that that prayer you prayed was, was beautiful. Sabbath school teacher, that was a great lesson today. Musicians, that skill was outstanding. Sometimes, friends, the the greatest temptation comes when we don't deflect the glory to God, but we take the glory for ourselves. Isn't that true? I just was reading, in fact, keep your hand here, but turn with me to Psalms 115. Just this morning, I came across this verse, Psalms 115. You can keep your hand there in Acts 3. We'll jump back there, but Psalms 115 and verse 1. Psalms 115, verse 1. Notice what the psalmist says, not unto us, O Lord. And then he repeats himself, not unto us. So twice, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. Lord, please, not about me, but to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. I love that. You see, friends, there's a difference between praise and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is being thankful for what God is doing in your life. I'm thankful for a roof over my head. I'm thankful for the food that I was able to eat. But praise is focusing on his character. Come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. We should be thankful for the gifts that God has given us. But we should also praise God for who he is. And as we give him the glory and think about what he's done, that immediately changes our outlook. I'll never forget when, uh, back in 2011, and some of you uh, uh, have heard uh, briefly about this story, but, but I had a brother who passed away from brain cancer. And sometime I would love to tell uh, the church story, uh, or the, the church family, uh, his entire story. But in 2011, uh, my older uh, brother Daniel passed away. He was only 25 years old and died from a, a GBM, glioblastoma brain tumor. And yeah, it was a challenging experience for, for our family. And I know there's a lot of people in this congregation who have had young and old loved ones that, that have passed away. And it, it's challenging. Uh, but I remember uh, just observing my parents, and, and they're Christians, they're Seventh-day Adventists, they love Jesus, and just l- noticing how they handled it inspired me. Uh, because they could have gone the route of, of why? Why, God? This isn't fair. Lord, why is this happening? And, and I went that route. My, my older brother, I looked up to him. I admired him. He, he uh, was a very uh, smart uh, young man. He was in college. He was doing well. Lord, Lord, why him? He was dating someone about to be married at the time. Lord, it's not, not fair that, that he's going through this. Let it be me. But noticing my parents and, and how they uh, uh, handled this, and, and, and we would talk as a family. I remember something my dad told us, and, and it was 
similar to what we're talking about here. That you know what? He said, family, we need to focus our attention on Jesus. We need to focus our attention on what he's doing, what he's going to do. And as we talk together as a family about the fact that Jesus is coming soon and the fact that God is, is still good in a world of pain. Sometimes we don't understand what's happening, but as we focus on him, that's when we start taking the focus off of ourselves and, and woe is me, and we focus outward. Talk about the same thing, that sometimes as Christians we're all about gloom and, and sadness and, and all these bad things are happening, where we need to focus on Jesus and what he's doing, and that will encourage us. Some of you have, have read about the, uh, uh, the dream that Ellen White had where she notices this lady and they're in the flowers by the path and she's always looking at the thorns. Do you remember that? Every, everywhere they go, look at the thorns and look at the thorns and there's these beautiful flowers everywhere but the lady's focusing on the thorns and not the beauty in front of them. And we can be tempted to do that. Oh, what's wrong? Rather than, you know what, God is good. Let's go back to Acts chapter three. Now notice Acts chapter three and verse 12. So all of these people, just to remind ourselves of this situation, all of these people are running to Peter and John because they just saw Peter and John do the same miracles that Jesus had done. And they're amazed. They heard, this is not Jesus. Jesus is, is, is dead. Jesus is, is gone. Jesus is, is resurrected, but, 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 but he's gone. Peter and John, these two humans are doing, they're all running to Peter and John. And notice verse 12, what the Bible says. Now I want to particular notice the first few words. It says, when Peter saw. Now what's fascinating to me as I was studying these passages is those three words, when Peter saw. Because in John 21, we find the exact same three words. In Greek, same wording as well. When Peter saw. But in John 21, it says when Peter saw John, he started comparing himself. What about him? But this time, Peter has a different reaction. Same three words, and I believe that the Bible is trying to, to, to draw our attention to this lesson. The same Greek word for Saul, blepo, is used here in Acts chapter 3. In John 21, when Peter sees a person, he compares himself, he gets distracted. So it'd be tempting for Peter, all these people are coming to him, to give him glory, to give him accolades, and it'd be tempting to compare himself and say, you know what, Th thank you, yes, we, we are pretty great. Yes, we, we just hear, healed someone. Oh, thank you. But that's not Peter's response. Notice the rest of the verse, verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us? As if by our own power or our godliness we made this man walk. He said, men of Israel, we had nothing to do with this healing. Our righteousness didn't do it. It wasn't through our power. Well, how is he healed? Look at verse 16. It says, and his name, talking about Jesus, through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of him all. Peter deflects the attention away from people back to God. Can you say amen? Peter had learned the lesson. It wasn't me. Don't praise us. Not unto us be glory, but unto him. Don't look at us, look at God. This is a completely different person than we saw in John 21. John 21, he's worried about John, about his future and his destiny. But this time, Peter is not distracted. What made the difference? What brought about a transformation in the life of Peter? I believe the answer to that is in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the Jewish leaders in Sanhedrin and the elders arrest Peter and John. 
They bring them into to, to trial. And in fact, we're told that the very room that Peter and John are brought into trial is the very place where Peter denied Jesus. Imagine that. As Peter walks into this room and he's on trial in front of the Sanhedrin, all of these memories are coming back to him. This is the very place that three times in a row, I don't know Jesus, I don't know him, I don't know him, same place. Peter and John are brought on trial, they're causing a ruckus, they're healing people, the Sanhedrin want to get rid of these guys. And they ask them the question, look in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. By what power or by what name did you do this? How are you doing this? We won't read the whole thing, but, but Peter ends up giving this courageous defense of Jesus. And I love this, because in the very same place where he denied Jesus some uh, moments ago, some days ago, in that same place, he now courageously sticks up for him. Jesus gives Peter another chance. He says, do you love me, Peter, three times? Do you love me? Do you love me? To make up for the three denying. And I'm so glad, friends, that Jesus can give you another chance to. You may have come in today and say, you know what? I've made too many mistakes I have guilt and shame, but the good news is that if Jesus can give Peter another chance, he can give you another chance, friends. By what power or name did you do this? Peter is a different person. He talks eloquently. He talks boldly. They remember Peter uh, being shameful of Jesus, but this Peter is different. The Sanhedrin can tell that something is unusual. And notice, friends, verse 13. I believe this is the key of chapter four. Verse 13. Now when they saw There's that Greek word again, blepo. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they saw changed men. These guys are different. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, these guys are just uneducated common men. They're just a bunch of fishermen. Who are these guys? Their Greek language is more eloquent. The way that they're talking is confidently. They were astonished. And notice that last sentence, friends. And they recognized, the Sanhedrin recognized that they had been with Jesus. What made all the difference in the world for Peter and John is that they were up in that upper room for 10 days and they prayed their hearts out to Jesus. They were there before the throne of grace, praying to their father and saying, Lord, we need your help. And as they came out of that place, as they spent time at the feet of Jesus, as they spent time in the throne room of Jesus, it made all the difference in the world. Peter and John didn't have a master's degree. They hadn't gone to the seminary. They didn't have a a diploma. But what makes their words so powerful, friends, is that they had been with Jesus. Peter kept his eyes on Jesus and it made all the difference in the world. He kept his eyes on Jesus long enough to spark a transformation in his life. He turned his eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth grew strangely dim. I believe, friends, that our success as a church in evangelism, I believe, friends, that our success in our workplaces as we share Jesus, our success as educators, our success in our families as parents, our success as students in school, all depends on whether or not people can tell that we've been with Jesus. What will bring us success is not the latest method or latest book or latest YouTube video. 
will bring us success here at Hendersonville is not comparing ourselves with other churches and doing what they do. What will bring us success in ministry is looking closely at Jesus. But here's the thing, friends. It can't be a casual, hasty look. It can't be a casual, hasty look. It has to be a long, hard look at Jesus. Because there's a difference, friends, between glancing at Jesus and looking at Jesus. There's a difference between glancing quickly at Jesus once a week on Sabbath and looking at him every single day. There's a difference between rushing through your devotions and glancing at him. Jesus, I gotta go great to see you. Oh, so good to see your smiling face. Have a good day. There's a difference between looking long and hard at the face of Jesus and casually glancing at him. Notice what the late Christian author, encourage you to pick up any of his books, E.M. Bounds, said. God's acquaintance is not made by pop calls. God's acquaintance is not made by pop calls, popping in, hey. No, God does not bestow his gifts on the casual or hasty comers and goers. Much with God alone is the secret of knowing him and influence with him. Much with God alone is the secret of knowing him and influence with him. I believe, friends, that as we move forward, as we move forward as God's people, that we can no longer be indifferent to the times that we're living in. And maybe you're not, friends, and praise God. But if we are all humble enough to admit, I'd say day by day and week by week, we go through moments where we're indifferent to those around us, indifferent to the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And the question that I have for us, church family, is are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready? If Jesus was to come tomorrow, could you honestly get excited and say, I'm ready, yes. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I attended some, uh, some meetings. It was a retreat over in Collegedale. And there's a pastor named Don McClafferty, Adventist pastor that's involved with the GC and doing an a, a, a initiative called Back to the Altar. But at this retreat that my wife and, and three kids went to in Collegedale just for a couple of days, uh, he ended up asking 10 questions that I thought were uh, very, very impactful. Uh, questions that as I honestly looked at, you know what, I need to, to make some changes. We need to make some changes. And I believe, friends, that even though we're here in this place, and we're walking closely with Jesus, that there's a lot of us that need to make changes in our walks with God. Would you agree with that, friends? That we need to have less of us and more of him. And I, I want to invite you to do something with me, and if, if you have a pen or pencil, there's a piece of paper that, that has names of, of Jesus on there. We're gonna be a little practical here at the end. Can I be practical? You'll notice as we're passing this out, I'm gonna give you a challenge. And this challenge is called 30 Names of Jesus. I'm gonna explain this challenge in just a little bit. But before we, I talk about this challenge here, I want us to turn the piece of paper over, and if you have a pencil or a pen, get out a hymnal, and I want you to answer some questions for, for me. Can you do that? We'd rather be here than anyone else, right? We'd rather spending time with Jesus at his feet. So here you are on the back of this paper. It says Names of Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
you're turning that over, maybe you're folding it in half, just a blank piece of paper now. So we were asked these, these 10 discipleship questions that simply were a yes or no answer. And you can think of this as a spiritual inventory. If you can answer yes to all of these questions, praise God. But just because you answer yes to all of them doesn't mean that there aren't changes that maybe you and Jesus need to make. But maybe there's some no's in here as well. And I want us to honestly answer this. This is between, I'm not going to look at these. You don't have to show your spouse or your pew mate. Uh, you don't have to show anyone. This is just between you and Jesus, okay? But question, and so I'm, 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 I want you to honestly answer, right? No one else is looking, just you and Jesus. Number one, are you currently thirsty for something more with Jesus than you have right now? Are you currently thirsty for something more with Jesus than you have right now? There's been times in my life uh, where I could say no. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus closely. I, I'm wanting more of him in his life. Other times where, I, you know, I need more of him. I recognize my, my deficiency. But number one, are you thirsty for something more with Jesus than what you currently have, yes or no? Number two, do you have peace about your salvation by grace through faith? That's a tough question, isn't it? Honest, honest, honestly answer that. Do you have peace about your, if Jesus would come tomorrow, you say, Lord, I am ready. I have peace about my salvation. Right, yes or no? And friends, I believe 100% that we can have peace about our salvation. We don't have to doubt if Jesus is gonna save me. We don't have to be one of those Christians that says, well, maybe, maybe he'll save me. We can have confidence in Jesus, friends. Biblical assurance of salvation, unfortunately, is something that not all church members have, but we need it, friends. Because it is an absolute uh, God thing to give you assurance of salvation. I was reading this week in Spirit of Prophecy and Scripture. God wants to give you assurance of salvation, but maybe you don't have it right now. A answer honestly. Number three, do you have daily, meaningful, unrushed time alone with God in the Bible? Daily, unrushed time alone with God in the Bible. There's been times in my life where I couldn't answer yes to that. Where I have time with God, I read his word, but it's rushed. Do you have unrushed, meaningful time alone with God on a daily basis? You can answer yes or no. This is between you and Jesus. And friends, this spiritual inventory is not to shame anyone. In fact, when, when I read this and, and went through this, my wife and I said, wow, Lord, thank you for this. This should be something that's a blessing, isn't it? Because it shows us a mirror of actually where we're at with Jesus. Number four, do you have daily, meaningful, unrushed time in prayer? So number three was unrushed time in his word. Number four, unrushed time in prayer. You get on your knees. You ask Jesus to wake you up. Number five, do you surrender daily to Jesus as Lord of all that you are and have, including your attitude and electronics. Number five, do you surrender daily to Jesus as Lord of all you have and all you are, including your attitude and electronics? Just yes or no. And I would love to uh, send this out, um, and I know you don't have a copy of this, but number six, do you ask for and receive a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you daily ask, Lord, I need a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Number six, do you ask for a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit? Number seven, here's a good question for all us parents. Do you love your family sacrificially? Do you love your family sacrificially? You can honestly say that your home is a, a place of peace and, and there's love, uh, you, you sacrifice for love there. 
Number eight, when you are home, do you have daily family worship with your spouse or children? If you're single, then you can refer to the other two questions or by yourself. Uh, but if, if you have uh, either your spouse or children at home, do you have daily family worship? Number eight. And again, friends, as we're going through these, I hope and pray that Jesus uses this as a wake-up call. I was reading Romans uh, this week in Romans 13, where, there, where Paul says, it's high time to awake out of our sleep. Do you agree with that, friends? Jesus' coming is nearer than we first believed, Paul says. We need to take a spiritual inventory and say, you know what? We need to draw closer to him as a family, as a church, and seek him. Number nine, are you free from anything that would make you a slave? And i.e., bitterness, addictions, electronics, appetite, etc. Are you free from anything that would make you a slave? Bitterness, addictions, anger, you can't forgive, anything along those lines. Electronics, football, sports. Number 10, this is an important one. Are you presently discipling someone outside of your church family to trust, follow, and share Jesus? Are you discipling someone outside of your church family to trust and follow Jesus? I know we live busy lives, but I believe, friends, that God wants every single one of us to disciple someone else to Jesus. I pray, church family, that that, that spiritual inventory uh, can be something that encourages you, not discourages you like, man, I'm in such a bad spot. Because what do we say about Peter? Does God give us second chances? Yes. Can you say amen? God gives us second, this is a, a, a day of second chances. God is telling you today, I want to be closer to you. He loves you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me if you're weary or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So now turning this page over and looking where the text is, I want to give our church family a 30-day challenge. If you look at your calendar, starting today, if you count today, November 25, and you go 30 days, it takes you to December 25th. December 25, Christmas, would be the 31st day if you count today. So this 30 day challenge will take us right up until Christmas, and I want to challenge you every day to think about and spend time reflecting on and looking at Jesus. Is that a good idea? And so you have your 30 names of Jesus. There's a lot more names of Jesus than just 30. But here are 30 names of Jesus just with one. Some of them have two Bible verses. There's a lot more Bible verses that have these names. Look them up. Do cross-references. But I think, friends, that as we close up 2023, it would do us well as a church family to take a long, hard look at Jesus. I invite you to take uh, this 30-day challenge to heart, to say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus in this 30-day challenge. And I know this is not something we normally do, and I apologize for, man, that young pastor, Pastor Wright's gone, you know, he's doing new things. I want to ask you a, a serious question, all right? This is just intellectually. If you want to take this 30-day challenge, so you know what, I'm serious about this. Because research shows that if you actually do something about your decisions, it's not just mental. But I want us to, church family, to take our relationship with Jesus seriously. And many of us already are, praise God. But I believe, friends, that over the next 30 days as we prepare for 2024 and move forward, that Jesus wants us to look long at him. And if that is your desire, I invite you just to bow your heads with me. Father, each one of us recognize that we are broken vessels. Father, as I look at you and as I look at me, I realize that my righteousness is like filthy rags, Lord. Oh, Father, I'm sorry for the times that I've broken your law, the times that I have not followed you. I'm sorry, Father, for the times that I've not sought you first, last, and best in everything. I'm sorry, Lord, for the times that I've allowed the busyness of the day to out 
outnumber and outrule time with you. I'm sorry, Lord. Father, we're sorry for putting electronics and, 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 and certain things above you, putting food above you. Father, we're sorry. We want you to maintain the number one position in our life. We want you to be on the throne of our hearts, Father. And Father, there are some people here that you have not been on their throne for some time. And today, the Holy Spirit is convicting them that today, maybe they don't know what that looks like, Maybe they're feeling guilt uh, because of, of not, but Father, may you erase all of that. May you encourage them. May you wrap your arms of love around that person and say, I care about you. Father, thank you that you give second chances. And Father, you are just desiring to be closer to us. You want us to be excited about your soon return. So Father, we want to leave the world behind and we want to turn our eyes upon you. But Father, we love you. We commit our hearts to you what you're doing in our lives. We're excited about this challenge over the next 30 days, focusing on Jesus, focusing on his different names, who he is. May that encourage us, Lord. May you become, Lord, our healer. May you become the way, the truth, and the life. May you become, Lord, our refuge and our mediator. May you become the bread of life and the Messiah. And may you become our our advocate, Lord. Thank you for being our Savior. We pray all these things in the precious name and blood of Jesus and all of God's people here say, Amen and amen.